Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, midweek Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. 20 degrees. Oil prices at a seven-year high. We'll track the rise in our next segment, but right now mortgage rates are also increasing and they're starting to price some people out of the home buying market. We're joined by Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President, Realty Track in Irvine, California. Rick, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Let's start with the unexpected uh, surprise and the upside today with uh, housing starts uh, better than expected. Uh, There's still a massive demand for new homes, it sounds like. There is a huge demand for new homes, Rob. Um, We have the largest group of millennials, which is the largest generation in U.S. history, all rapidly approaching prime age for home buying. Uh, also, the, the low interest rates, even though we're talking about them going up a little bit, we're still looking at historically low levels in terms of, of what you're paying on a 30-year fixed rate loan. So those two things are driving a lot of demand, and, and the builders have largely been absent over the last decade. So good news this morning uh, with those housing start numbers, the, the, the largest number of housing starts we've seen, I think, since 1974 uh, and and that, that will certainly uh, add a little bit of, of much-needed inventory back into the market. With uh, interest rates going up, even from uh, historically low levels, is there like a, a rush to the bank to refi before March? I think the refi activity is already starting to slow down. Uh, if you look at, at the published reports, you know, every quarter point that, that interest rates go up, you have a huge fall off in terms of refi activity. What we might see, and we've seen this in, in the past as well, is that as those interest rates start to tick up, you see people jumping into buy homes uh, and trying to lock in those rates. So even though we might be looking at interest rates now, say, at 3.5% for a 30-year fixed rate loan, with inflation running at 7%, uh, that really is quite a bargain when you think about about financing something. So, you know, for for people that are 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 thinking about buying a home right now, those interest rates really still play to their favor. Single family home building soared in the Northeast and Midwest, likely boosted by an unseasonably mild December in uh, most of the uh, uh, northern parts of the country. Um, is that activity going to slow down in January because uh, temperatures uh, fell like a rock once uh, New Year's Day rolled around? You know, we, we've seen uh, seasonal uh, impact on, on home building in the past. If we if we have a lot of snow, and there have been some predictions for a lot of snow, that certainly slows things down. Or, or ice storms, uh, just cold temperatures alone probably don't slow things down very much. But the builders are facing other headwinds. Uh, there's a, a critical lack of skilled labor. Uh, they are dealing with the supply chain disruption that, that everybody's been talking about. It takes them nine months to get windows and six months to get roofing materials uh, and so forth. And, and candidly, there's a lack of available lots for them to build on. It takes a long time to get through state and local government regulations and zoning requirements. So the, the weather is one uh, thing that will, will potentially slow down home building, but there are other headwinds that the builders face. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President, Realty Track in Irvine, California. Coming up, multiple factors continue to push the price of oil higher and higher. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Oil prices are climbing steadily during a trend that goes back to early December. We welcome in Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst 
analyst at the Price Group and Fox Business News contributor based in Chicago. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, uh, Rob. It's uh, geopolitical instability. Uh, if, if you want to uh, gas up your car, you're at the risk of events at all points of the compass. You're absolutely right. You know, whether it be in Libya or, you know, the, the, the border of Ukraine, all of a sudden geopolitical events matter again when it comes to the cost of oil. You know, and we really thought years ago we put that behind us, right? The U.S. was the biggest producer in the world. Who care if we lost, you know, oil in a godforsaken place like Libya? We were the biggest producer in the world. But the U.S. has stepped back from that. You know, we're talking about you know, producing less energy. And now we're starting to pay for that. And you're seeing how important the U.S. energy producer was in the cog of the, the global energy wheel. Was this simply a function of the collapse in oil prices at the start of the pandemic and that price war between the Saudis and Russia? And a lot of the domestic producers decided to just put all of their exploration plans on the shelf because it just simply cost too much money to do it. And now that the price of oil is back up again, will they jump back in and try to take advantage of this? That's part of the, the story. Um, and the second part of your question is, is the big unknown, because you're right. There's no doubt the pandemic caused a lot of pullback and in investment. Shell producers were being too optimistic and producing too much oil and kept prices too low to make a profit. But the bigger concern is the new regulatory environment that we have coming out of the pandemic. You know, the last administration under President Trump was drill, baby, drill, Right. Uh, the new administration is like, don't invest in fossil fuels. Don't invest in U.S. energy producers. We're going to be driving electric cars in a few years. And because of that, we've seen billions of dollars of investment go to other places that normally would go into the U.S. energy space. And because of that, that's the real reason why I think production isn't rebounding like it normally would have with oil prices back up near $87 a barrel. When the U.S. does something like release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is something that happens every couple of years, uh, what type of dent does it make in the price of oil, and then when is that absorbed by the market? It depends on why they release it and when they release it. Um, you know, in the past, it has kept prices under control when we've had a major disruption like a hurricane or a war. That's the time to release oil from the reserve. It's an emergency. Um, on the other hand, the recent release of 50 million barrels of oil from the reserve to try to cool off energy demand uh, and to send a message to OPEC is the wrong way to do that. It's going to have very little impact on price. You know, in fact, you know, it, it, if you're trying to cool down demand, releasing more oil on the market is like throwing, you know, gasoline on a fire. It's just going to create more demand. So it backfired on the administration. A lot of people say, well, you know, prices went down a little bit after they released oil. Well, it just so happened that was right, you know, at when the Omicron variant became known to the world. And that's what caused the prices to go back down. But I think they're finding out quite quickly that that oil that they threw onto the market was burned up and, and you know, and they can try it again. And they're threatening that they will. But I don't think it'll have a long term effect. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Phil Flynn, senior market analyst with the Price Group and Fox Business News contributor based in Chicago. Coming up next, overseas air carriers weigh in on the 5G safety controversy by canceling flights. Discussing the news affecting your money. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Major airlines have canceled flights to the U.S. or are changing the types of planes they're using due to safety concerns tied to the rollout of 5G technology. Let's get the latest from Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University. Joe, thanks for joining us today. What is the state of play right now? It sounds like the major uh, wireless carriers are putting a pause on 5G near airports, and yet some international airlines, some big ones, are now saying, we're not going to fly to O'Hare right now. That's exactly right. We thought maybe yesterday we were dodging a bullet when uh, Verizon AT&T announced they were delaying 5G deployment at some airport towers. We didn't know what that was. And today it's clear that international carriers in particular are not satisfied with the plans. You know, recall that uh, this really affects low visibility landings and bad weather uh, with that 5G. And there's uh, differing opinions of whether it really affects uh, flight navigation. But we have two airlines that have canceled flights to Chicago, uh, Air India and Emirates, and others are canceling quite a few transatlantic flights uh, if they can't swap to different equipment. So uh, some have switched out to 787s because the 777 appears particularly uh, uncertain about that 5G. Now, the airline industry says, look, this wasn't exactly a surprise. You had years to prepare for this. Is there validity to that argument? Uh, there is. One of the uh, Middle Eastern carriers really threw a shot at the uh, FAA saying this is one of the most irresponsible uh, handling of a technical situation they have seen because they allowed this brink- brinksmanship to happen between the airlines you know, and the uh, AT&T uh, Verizon. You know, without maybe uh, this intervention from the president or whatever coming a month or two ago. Uh, that said, uh, just so people listening know that very few domestic flights have been affected uh, by this. So that's pretty normal. Uh, Delta's warning, though, that some bad weather could uh, create some, uh, some risk of cancellation. What is the, uh, well, what's the 5G situation in Europe? Um, I mean, do the, do the, four, the, the overseas carriers that are uh, 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 criticizing the FCC and the FAA, uh, you know, what are, what are, what's, what's their 5G situation uh, in Europe and overseas? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is it's a fairly uh, simple, maybe not the right word, but it's a very doable technological fix that with uh, different instrumentation changes uh, that are best done when you buy the aircraft as opposed to retrofitting it, uh, you can uh, conveniently coexist with 5G. Uh, and uh, so European airlines have been compatible in most international airports uh, as well. Uh, here in the U.S., we have sort of a different broadband uh, approach. So uh, our domestic planes and these international planes coming in, you know, don't have that uh, clearance to coexist with 5G. Well, thanks for joining us today. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University, based in Chicago. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure your retirement goals are in line with reality. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden will address the effort to contain COVID-19 and other issues on this day that marks his first year in office. This is Mike Krauser with what you need to know about free at-home COVID tests. Personal Finance Wednesday. Retirement may not be as simple as just saving and investing. And if you're finding that your career is stalled, here's some steps you can take to give it a jump start. WBBM Business 
business. The markets are now mixed. The Dow was turned lower. It's down 18 points. The Nasdaq is up 38. The S&P 500 is up six and a quarter. AccuWeather says turning colder today. Times of clouds and sun. Temperatures will fall into the teens. Wind chills near zero. Right now in Chicago, we have 20 degrees at O'Hare, but it feels like six above at 1231. Topic our news of the half hour. President Biden marks the end of his first year in office with a news conference this afternoon, which will include an update on the fight against COVID. A preview from CBS News correspondent Peter King. Now, the president is expected to announce that there are enough N95 masks in the national stockpile to provide some 400 million masks for free. The Biden administration plans to have them available for distribution at tens of thousands of places around the country, mostly pharmacies and community health centers. A White House official tells CBS News shipments will start by the end of the week. Masks available late next week. Peter King, CBS News. The federal government's free COVID test website now available. Dr. Emily Landon of University of Chicago Medicine says it's taken too long for the government to provide at-home test kits, but now that it's happening, everyone should take advantage of it. She spoke to CBS too. For a lot of people, you know, these tests can be really helpful in helping them to figure out whether or not they need to go wait in that long line for PCR tests. COVIDtest.gov is the website. It's very simple and fast. Name, address, email and you're done. You can get four free test kits per household. There's also the insurance option and eight tests per individual per month. Present your insurance card at a pharmacy and get free kits or get reimbursed depending on the pharmacy and insurance. Mike Krauser, News Radio, 1059 WBBM. It's 12:32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in positive territory. We're joined by Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. It sounds like uh, the markets are at least at peace with some of the latest earnings reports that came out, especially one that uh, might be a barometer of consumer sentiment, Procter & Gamble. Yes, and I think that's one of the things that's that's helping the market not go down today versus what we've seen in the recent days. P&G's report was pretty good. They they had organic sales growth of 6%. Uh, They had earnings that beat uh, the estimates. And, and most importantly, uh, from Wall Street's perspective, they raised their guidance to about four to five percent organic sales growth uh, in fiscal 2022 versus where they were before at about two to four percent. So, you know, it's it's a company that looks like it it's, has the ability to raise prices, and those are the types of stocks that people tend to migrate to or try to find during inflationary periods. So it's in a sweet spot. And the other thing that's helping it is you get that dividend yield of over 2%, and, and investors have been also flocking to kind of dividend yielders so far in 2022. Inflation and interest rates seem to be top of mind, at least as far as public opinion polls are concerned. But as far as the American consumer writ large is concerned, when he or she votes with their wallet, uh, they're willing to spend uh, despite the higher prices, uh, they, they, it's, it's still that pent-up demand from last year or two years ago. Well, that, that appears to be the case, certainly for necessities and, and for, for other areas. I mean, uh, I don't think necessarily people are real pleased about what they're paying at the Well, right. At the you, you, you're still grumbling, but you still pay. That's right, yeah. And, and again, in, in some things, you just you, you have to. But there has been... Uh, an ability for companies uh, in a number of different industries to be able to raise their prices and raise them pretty aggressively. And, and uh, you know, that is one of the things that does concern Wall Street is, you know, is, is that kind of upward pressure 
on prices going to translate to more aggressive wage inflation. And, and that's really, I think, the, the ultimate bugaboo for the market when it comes to inflation, it's wage inflation. And are we going to continue to see this kind of spiral upwards? If that's the case, uh, it's going to be very difficult for the market this year. Uh, to generate much of anything with that kind of headwind. Well, despite the uh, the instability on the markets in the first uh, three weeks of the trading year, what is the Dow theory telling you? Well, the Dow theory still is bullish. It has not had a change in the trend from bullish to bearish. In order for that to happen, you would need the Dow Jones Industrial Average to break down below its previous important low, which was right around 34,000. And you would need a similar close in the Dow Jones transportation average below its previous significant low around 15,493. Um, so, so we have a little bit of cushion. We have a lot more cushion in the industrials than we do in the, in the, in the Dow transports. But, you know, if, if people are kind of wondering if, in fact, inflation is going to be significant to the market, if, in fact, interest rates are going to be significant, if, in fact, corporate profits are going to deteriorate and be troublesome for the market. Uh, you know, w- w- we follow what the, the markets are telling us. And the, if, in fact, you see the industrials and transports break below those previous important lows, that would be an ominous signal for the market and a reason to probably raise cash. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, strategies to allow you to retire when you want to. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and people who are looking at retirement can find that financial reality has put a major crimp in their plans. Let's get insight from Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. At what point in the in your life, um, as you look at retirement, and retirement becomes a real possibility that you have to face facts that maybe you have to work for a couple of more years? Well, I, the, uh, the the data I've seen suggests that, and of course, there's no magical threshold, but uh, typically up until the late 40s, you, you probably have enough time to at least turn it uh, turn the ship around, at least in the large part. But when you're in the 50s and especially in the 60s, you do have to face reality. And as you mentioned in the question, the single most important thing you can do if you end up falling short is working longer, and that gives you a double bonus. One is, of course, that you are earning money and therefore not taking money out of your retirement to the extent you are working longer. But secondly, Social Security payments go up by 8% a year for every year of delay in which you start taking Social Security. And so for both those reasons, perhaps the single most important thing you can do if you find yourself short is just uh, resolved to to work a couple of years longer. Now, let's say you're in the 40s and you want to avoid this fate. Uh, what is something that you can do right now with your retirement accounts or, re- or your retirement savings plan to uh, avoid that uh, gruesome reality later on? Well, <laughs> it's going to sound uh, so un uh, you know unexceptional, but basically, you you need to save and invest more. Um, and uh, so, it, there's really no way around it. It turns out. Most 401ks, if you are lucky enough to have one, uh, your employer will match it at least up to a certain uh, certain level. If you are not taking advantage of that match, you're leaving money on the table. So at a minimum, you want to take advantage of the full match that your employer does allow. And you're allowed, uh, after starting about the age 50, to, uh, to put in an extra amount above and beyond what the normal statutory limit of how much you can put in. So definitely take advantage of that. 
And uh, if you're in your 40s or less uh, age, you uh, have the ability to take on significantly more risk because you have enough uh, years on the far end in case you encounter a bear market along the way to recover. So those are perhaps the two most important things to do then. 30% of retirees say they have no savings whatsoever. 75% say they have debt. And 62% of retirees say they have not saved enough for retirement. And here is an area where in which uh, medical science have <laughs> will probably deal a lot of retirees a curveball. And that is uh, when when IRAs and retirement accounts were developed, there was this belief that you know maybe you would shuffle off this mortal coil in your 80s. And if you were born in 1980 or beyond, um, there's a very good chance you could live into your 90s uh, or well past 100 just based on advances in medical technology. So you'll have to say that's, more. Well, that's exactly right. So I, I, you know, there's so many reasons why I think working longer may be a, uh, a wonderful thing. I know a lot of people have health issues. I don't want uh, to to minimize that. So if you can't work longer, then that that definitely is a is an albatross that you have to face. But nonetheless, if you can work longer, there's also evidence that it actually incur- it increases your life expectancy if you work longer. If you retire early, believe it or not, there's a, a correlation with increased mortality. So even above and beyond the financial reasons we mentioned earlier, working longer actually increases your life expectancy. Well, there was an analysis I read a couple of years ago talking about people born in the 2010s might live to be 150. So imagine planning for retirement when your midlife crisis hits at 75. Well, that's right. I mean, it really does require, as you point out, a reframing of what retirement looks like. It may be more than half your life will be in retirement, and it's going to be very, very difficult to save and invest enough during your working years to end up funding an even longer period not working. So I think perhaps the reframing that's required is to realize that uh, we can continue working. May we, we may want to continue working, even if it's not being paid at the same level you were in your quote-unquote traditional career. At least you're earning something and you have a purpose in life that doesn't otherwise uh, get fulfilled if you've retired early. Thanks for joining us. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Join us this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, avoiding the mistake that can stagnate your career. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. If your career is on a dead-end street, there are things you can do to move forward. Let's get some help from Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half and Company in Chicago. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. It's very interesting. We do a lot of uh, career segments, especially since the uh, great resignation got underway in earnest about how you can write your own ticket wherever you want uh, just because of the uh, tightness in the labor market. But there's a lot of people who are listening and might say, when's that going to happen for me? And they might feel they're being passed over especially at this uh, time of historic leverage. So what can we do to get people out of their rut? Well, I think, you know, right now with all of us adapting to remote and even hybrid work environments, I think it's about the communication piece and, you know, making sure that you're still present at work, even though you're working from home. Um, And there's definitely several different ideas we can give you as to how you can do that more. Uh, A lot of these strategies are are good for career, but also they're just good for life when it comes to communication, being present, uh, offering to help, uh, getting out of your comfort zone, giving ideas. So what are some easy things you can do to to turn things around and, and get yourself noticed? 
Absolutely. So first and foremost, you know, making sure, again, like you said, being present, sharing your ideas publicly. You know, lots of us hate being on video meetings all day. And I think it's important that you're not only seen, but you're heard when you participate in those things. Um, you know, make sure that, you know, working remote doesn't put you in a situation where you're kind of going it alone. You still have to reach out. You still have to build a network. You still have to uh, connect with your colleagues and make sure that, you know, you keep those lines of communication very, very open. Now, I will say counterpoint is that uh, some people who might be shy and self-conscious in a uh, in a face-to-face setting might actually thrive on Zoom because they have they they can just all they can control is that little box in which they appear and they feel a lot more comfortable just by themselves speaking in a video chat than uh, in an office full of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely has allowed people to be more vocal where they don't feel like, you know, they're being stared at by everybody in the room, but even in that case I would say, you know, get outside of your comfort zone, turn your camera on, make sure, you know, visibly you're present. Um, you know, and that also you look professional or the environment that you're working is in is professional. So, again, that you feel very much part of what is happening in the, you know, remote office. And don't sound like every relationship is transactional. Actually be somebody's friend or at least be somebody's acquaintance. Correct. You know, I think not being side by side with each other in the office remove some of the, you know, day-to-day catch up on what's going on in your life or, you know, walking over to congratulate somebody on something, say happy birthday, or, you know, just even sharing someone's loss if there's a death in the family. Again, it takes, you know, kind of reaching outside of your comfort zone and making sure that you're still recognizing those things, even in a remote environment, that you take the time to pick up the phone, make a phone call, you know, do a video call, and just talk about those non-work-related things. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Michelle Reisdorf with Robert Half in Chicago. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.